Let's turn in our Bibles to uh, John chapter 4. We are starting, um, you know, it's funny because, like I'll say, turn to chapter 4. We're going to start with this text, but I never look at the Bible as, as as a text per se. I always look at the Bible as people and, and, and relationships and how God deals with individual people. It's just such an amazing uh, book to, to see God's dealings uh, and God's ways with people. Uh, so John chapter 4, um, we're studying through the book of John. And, and, and John is writing this uh, gospel in order that to point out some signs and some things uh, that Jesus did uh, that we, that we as individuals might believe and that in believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, we might experience eternal life. Eternal life not just being quantity, but a quality of life. And uh, last, uh, two weeks ago, before uh, we, we did kind of like a, a review of chapters one through three, and we realized that John was, uh, he's explaining the process that he went through. He, uh, he, he, um, he showed the questions that Jesus asked. He saw the answers that Jesus gives. He points out the signs and, and, um, and we saw the cleansing of the temple, the dealings with Nicodemus, and, and the dealings that Jesus had with people individually. And here we find ourselves with the famous story of the woman at the well. And I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm quite excited about this. I hope it goes out, it goes well, but I just wanna point out some things and, and then we'll probably have another Sunday or two uh, with this particular story. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful, Lord, to have your word. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to understand it. Uh, help us to be um, encouraged by it. Help us to be enlightened by it. Help us to, to see how amazing you are and the great things that you want to do in our life. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So chapter four says, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan, a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. 
The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is of the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. My goodness. I almost don't. Uh, there, there's, whenever we study the scriptures, the, the, there's a key principle in, in, um, in hermeneutics and in, in, in understanding uh, the scriptures that is the, 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 the law of re- repetition. When something is repeated over and over again in a particular text, you have to pay attention to it. And here, the word that is repeated over and over again is the word worship. And Jesus says, he, he, he talks to her about this living water and these, these, these uh, fountain within that comes upon a human. So he ties this, this worship and this living water uh, together. A well of water springing up within us, he says. And the question is, do we have this well? Have we received, you know, because the the theme is going on, have we received grace upon grace? Have we understood this, this principle is as the law came through Moses and, and uh, but, but through Jesus, grace upon grace. The, the, the transformation of the water to wine, it was a, a picture of God's blessing, the graciousness of God that in turn leads to a life of worship. Worship means to honor to regard with great extravagant respect. It means to honor and to be devoted to. And the, and the reality is that there's many wrong ideas about worship. There are very wrong ideas about God. You know, it's really interesting when you talk to people, everybody thinks they know what God is like. You get into a conversation, oh, yeah, well, that's not the way that my God is. Well, the reality is not about your God or my God or his God or her God. The question is, who is God? You know, if you see a a great Ferrari there, you don't imagine who made it. I mean, you want to know, you know, who, who is the person that made it? Who designed it? How did they design it? In the same way, when we see our lives, when we see our bodies, when we see the world we live in, as much as it's got its, its problems, you see that there's design. And the question is, who is the creator? I mean, when, let me give you an example. When uh, you have the Jews that worship God, but they believe that Jesus was pretty much a false prophet. You have the Muslims that the worship God, but they believe that it was Judas that died on the cross and not Jesus. And you have the Christian who says that Jesus is God come in the flesh. They cannot all be true. In a rational world, they cannot all be true. So who is God? What is he like? 
Is he moody? Is he, is he, is he uh, capricious? Is he, does he deceive us? I mean, how, what is he like? And it is very important that we set our minds into not worshiping a God of our imagination, but actually worshiping the God of the Bible, the guide. The, um, and, 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 you know, I think... Um, we need to ask our question. We need to ask the question to ourselves: What is worship? What is it to worship God? And you know, I think at one point the disciples saw the gather that they saw Jesus. They saw Jesus praying, and at one point they go up to him and they say, "Jesus, teach us to pray." They saw something in Jesus, the way that he that he was with his Father, the way that that he. That, that he walked in life and he's like, teach us to pray. And there are hindrances to worship, to true worship, and we see it in this lady. Notice um, one of the things that we need to be careful with when it comes to worship is the primary purpose of worship is not to make us happy. And sometimes we just think, like, okay, I, I just want to be happy, so I want to seek God. But no, no, worship is actually that overwhelming uh, uh, sense of God as we discover him that just wants to honor him. That overwhelming desire to honor God as we see him for who he is. Worship would be an appreciation of who he is. Of course, as we see and appreciate him and we worship him, in turn, there's a happiness, there's a joy that overcomes us. But we will never have that joy if what we're primarily seeking is the joy. And you know, some of the prejudices that we see in this story as, as, we, as, as we look at it, and it says... Uh, um, it says, you guys worship on this mountain. And you're, no, sorry, we worship on this mountain, but you guys say you have to worship in Jerusalem. One of the prejudices that Jesus deals with here is uh, the worship can only be in certain places particular postures or whatever. And, and, and sometimes we just have the, uh, these, these weird ideas of what worship is, you know? If, if, I'm a, if we're here at the church, oh my goodness, this is a holy place, so therefore the energy's good, and therefore, no, 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 the energy and the place has got nothing to do with it. It's got to do with what is going on in our hearts with Him. You can worship God on a mountain. You can worship God on a boat. You can worship God on a bicycle. You can worship God as you're walking. The important things is the connection with him. It's the appreciating him. We, we, we looked at a devotions the other day when this woman takes, the, Mary actually, she takes this perfume, a year's salary worth, worth of perfume, and out of gratitude for, La, uh, for Lazarus, uh, receiving Lazarus, her brother, back, and out of gratitude for who Jesus is, she just breaks that thing, opens it, and pours it on. And the whole place was filled with the aroma of that costly perfume that she gave him. They were not at the temple, but worship happened in that house. And sometimes we get caught up with what building or, or uh, at a particular time or in a particular po posture. And, 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 and this, this Jesus is drawing this lady and she's beginning to, he's beginning to uh, show her that a day is coming where it's not going to be the temple. It's not going to be uh, this mountain. But it's going to be with what's going on in the heart. And notice that this grace upon grace that comes upon this, this lady is fully available to all kinds of people. 
And notice, what's the chapter before this one? The chapter before this one was Nicodemus. Here's a guy that is a religious guy. He knows his Bible. He, he, he's a ruler, so he's got authority. He, he does all the religious things. But he, here is a Samaritan woman, and Jesus promises living water. He promises uh, grace upon grace, blessing upon blessing upon a woman, not just a woman, but a Samaritan woman. And I think it's important that we kind of know the, the, the history of the Samaritans because I was flabbergasted. In 2 Kings chapter 17, you have the story of how the Samaritans came to Samaria. Now, what happened is the king of Assyria, he, well, God, um, God dealt with the Jews because of their idolatry, and he, uh, well, the, the, the king of Assyria came and got rid of all the Jews, took them captive to Babylon, to Assyria, to, removed them. And then what he did is he put other people in Samaria, right? Now, these people did not know how to worship God. And in the land, there was a covenant. There was a, there was a way to worship God if you were going to prosper in that land. And what happens is they had no clue and their lives were becoming into trouble and they had lions come in and they were being devoured. And then the king of Assyria says, oh my goodness, these people, they don't know how, how the, work, the, the God of the land works. So he says, I will send them a priest from those we took captive to teach them how to worship the God of the land. And what he's saying is, I'm going to send a guy that will educate him in how the scripture said that God is to be worshipped. But they, they sacrifice their children. They practice witchcraft. They practice all this stuff. And so the Jews, they did not want to have anything to do with Samaritans. They were not Jews, and they were worshiping God however they wanted, not how he is, right? But then on top of that, this person is a woman. Now, Loretta and I, we used to, we've done a couple of trips to Israel. We've taken people to Israel. And the ortho, my, my greatest dream was to meet a Jewish person. I mean, when I first became a Christian, it's like, I can't wait to meet a, a Jewish person. And, and so as soon as we got to Tiberias, it was just like, oh, I saw an Orthodox Jew. And I just thought, oh, I'll use the excuse to ask for directions. And I was just like, hey, hello. Didn't even look at me. I was shocked. But of course, for him, he didn't. Well, I don't know what he thought, but I mean, there's a difference between Gentile and Jew. And I was full on Gentile. And then we had one, another guy we met in Jerusalem, an Orthodox Jew, and he was a guide. And Loretta asked him a question. He actually answered, and then she went to give him the hand. And then he, he goes, no, I don't touch women. Well, that's now. Back then... Gentiles and women were made in order to fuel the flames of hell. Women had no value whatsoever. And so this, although it seems minim, minimal, minuscule, it seems, it seems insignificant, the fact that Jesus goes to Samaria, and he actually talks to a woman and offers her living water. It's revolutionary. When we talk about women's rights and women's equality, nobody has done more for women than Jesus, than the New Testament. And Jesus says, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water I give will never thirst again. No, 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 on the contrary, it will become a fountain within. And he promises it to a lady. And not only a Samaritan, not only a woman, but an outcast woman in her own society. And it teaches us that Jesus came for all kinds of people, for the homeless, for the wealthy, 
for the race, for any race, for the outcasts, for the nationalities. You know, as we think of, of India and you have the untouchables, I mean, these people, that they have these different castes, and they have, they have no chance whatsoever. Here in the West, we, all, we, we, we love the Hinduism and the, and the Buddhism and all that stuff, but go to those countries and see the separation, the coldness of heart that it's developed. And here Jesus steps in, and he has time for this woman and promises and offers her living water. But notice the surprise. It's a regular day in her day. It's a regular day in her life. She every day just goes up and she goes to, uh, to, to that well to draw water every day. You know, uh, here in Mallorca, the, the tap water tastes funny. I don't like it. So I know what it's like. I feel like a camel. You know, you go to the supermarket and you come, up, you come home with like 10 liters of, of water. You know, you, you just come home and, and, and you just have to keep getting it until we got these osmosis filters. And now it's just amazing, so convenient. But you kind of had a, you get a sense from this woman every day doing the same thing. And yet this day is going to be different in her life. Completely different. Her life is going to be revolutionized. A regular day in our day, a house to look after, food to provide, need to come back and forth to, to this well to draw water. And then this day, this offer comes and, and she says, give me this water so I don't have to come back here. Some say that um, she went in the middle of the day because of the exclusion of the others. But listen, in an ordinary day, expecting nothing at all to happen, and yet this day, she was completely surprised by grace upon grace, by the grace of God. Now, I remember when I became a Christian, it was crazy, because I left the island, I went to Germany for for a week, um, and then from there, I traveled to the United States, and, and these Christians just sort of took me in. They were praying for me, and, and I watched the Jesus movie a couple of times, but everything was external. And yet, one particular day, in my regular day, I was making a meal for these people out of gratitude. They lent me the car. They, they gave me a place to stay for a season until I got accepted into university. And as I was driving to buy food for these people to make them a meal, I saw a sign that says, Jesus will save you today. Jesus will save you today. Now, that sign was, I mean, I drove, out a couple, I drove several days afterwards to see if that sign was always there. But it was always there. But that day... That day, it was a surprise. It stood out to me. It's one of those things that just sort of penetrates the heart. But it, it, it penetrates in, but you, you, you kind of have an awareness. Maybe God is in this place, which Jacob said, and I was not aware of it. And I went in to the house. Uh, uh, not, didn't think much about it afterwards. Made the meal. We ate together. And then this girl said, Hey, Raph, one of my friends is speaking somewhere. I didn't know if they were going to speak on cars, on, on travel. I had no idea. One of our friends is speaking today. Would you like to come? And I said, sure. And I went, and it was a tent in the middle of North Carolina in the country. And this 25-year-old guy gets in like a hillbilly with his overalls, and he just begins to share the gospel and the battle for the soul. And that day, I was surprised by the grace and by the love and by the kindness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I prayed with someone I've never seen before, I've never seen after, and my life was never the same. Never the same. Here was a day of monotony. Her whole day changed through this encounter. From nothing to fullness in one day. And you know what? There's no life like the Christian life. You can't even plan it. It's like he just, he takes over. 
He surprises us. But think about this. He's, I mean, here's the, remember, John has just said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh, and, and, and grace with grace upon grace. And, and next thing you know, she, Jesus, God incarnate, goes to meet this woman and surprises her with grace upon grace. And maybe you are in a rut. There's no system. But you know, we have access to the word. We have access to the sun. I was talking to two people yesterday. No, Friday, I think it was. And one of them just, just senses the Lord, but, but ha- hasn't really been necessarily reading. But he senses something's changed within him. And it's not whether you read in the morning for 10 minutes. It's not whether you have a set time where you actually do it. The question is not when you read, but the question is how you read, how you encounter those meaningful moments with him. Not places, not to go to um, necessarily some sanctuary, some, some place, but anywhere. Everything changes in an instant, and all of a sudden we find ourselves in a place where, where we're experiencing a different kind of water. We need to drink to satisfy an earthly thirst. But Jesus here promises something for the soul. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs for you. Jesus produces this thirst in her. And notice that Jesus meets this woman alone. Truly receiving of her fullness. It is the personal element of the Christian life. Not a crowd, but very personal, intensely personal, amazingly individual. And we've seen it. Nathaniel, when you were under the tree, I saw you. Peter, you are Simon. You will be called Peter. Nicodemus, you must be born again. It's like he deals with everybody, individual, specifically. And it's amazing how you can be in a crowd and feel completely alone and how you can be alone and, feel com- if, and, and, and have a sense of being in the best company in the world. And Hosea says, Israel is a faithless wife. And he says, listen to this, I will allure her, I will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. I mean, just have this picture of, of God grabbing this, Jesus grabbing this woman at the well. And he speaks comfort to her by herself. And this is what's open to us. Anywhere. Surprised. Alone. Specific. And it is open to you. It is open to me. And notice, notice how wonderful Jesus is. It says, Jesus, wearied from his journey, he was tired. He was tired and he was thirsty. He created everything. He he is God incarnate. He creates everything. And yet John is astonished because as he meets with this woman tired and thirsty, he's thinking, how can I reach her? He's concerned for her. He is thirsty but wants to share with her. You see, Notice what it says in verse four. In verse four, it says, it says in verse four, now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. It says he had to go through Samaria. 
Do you know what's astonishing about that? There was two other ways to go. Jesus had two other ways that he could have gone back to Galilee, but he had to go to Samar- through Samaria. And to me, that's just crazy because the, the, the meaning you can see here is that he had to go through Samaria because he had to meet this woman. And you know what? I don't know where you're at, where you're coming from. I don't know where you're going. I don't know the circumstances you're, you're are going through. But to me, it's of great comfort that it says he had to go through there because he had to meet with her. He knew. I might not know, but he knows what you're going through. He knows the pain. You know, it's, it's, there's, a, there's, there's, there's quite a, quite a uh, when you read this story, I'm kind of perplexed a little bit because when he says you've had five husbands and the one that you're with is not your husband, I, you know, my mind has always gone to look at her, man. She just left her husbands. But that's not necessarily true. It could be that she was dumped five times. So it could be that it's not just her sin per se. It could be that it was she was suffering from somebody else's actions. And Jesus knows. And Jesus meets her. It was no accident that they met. And I want, I want you to turn, as I was reading this, I was thinking of Psalm 139. Uh, if you just turn there, you should highlight this. I love writing in my Bible. It says, um, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He says in in verse one, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I arise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is in my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise in the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say surely the darkness will hide me and light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is a light to you. And he was aware of her situation, and it says he had to go through Jerusalem. Listen, God knows you. God knows what you go through. God knows what you need. God knows your prejudices. And here we see how intensely personal he is, one by one, individually, and he wants to offer you living water. Think of the things that we give ourselves to that leave us empty. We have two people in the church, they're not here today, that were um, practicing um, just meditation and that sort of sense of um, in, in, in Hinduism and Buddhism of, of, of just, just getting to a place where you empty yourself of everything and there's nothing. And both of them said this to me. When I got there, it was scary. It was scary. And there was a sense afterwards of, of just a, of a thirst, of an emptiness, just... I talked to somebody else this week. And it had to do with um, just visiting a particular place over and over again with a particular addiction. And the person said, every time I got there, I was empty afterwards. Empty. 
And yet here Jesus promises a living water, a fountain within. And he does it very individually. Maybe you're a bit of a skeptic and you think to yourself, but how can a God, how can God be so individual with every single person on the earth? There's too many. You can't be so individual and so caring and so knowledgeable of, of, of the one person. Of, of How can he know everything about me? Well, do you know what Google does? Isn't it crazy? Amazon does. It's amazing how you go to these websites and they feed you back stuff. I've had it that I'm in conversation with Loretta and I said, it would be nice to get an air fryer. And then I get air fryer advertisement on Instagram. And you're like, how in the world does that happen? And you know what? What I'm trying to say by this is we have designed Amazon and Google. But God designed us. And he knows us personally, intimately. And here, Jesus meets with her. And he is concerned for her. He has seen the sin. He has seen what she's done. She has seen, he has seen what has been done to her. And he cares. He is concerned about the labor of life, physical. But he's able, he's able to see all the pain. But he's interested in drawing her into the spiritual. And listen... He presses through the physical prejudice. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. He presses through that. He presses through the gender. I'm a woman. You're a man. And he presses. He goes through that boundary to penetrate. He presses through the religious prejudices. We worship on this place. You worship on that place. And, and it, to me, it seems like a bit of a smokescreen. And he says, dear, one day is coming where we will neither worship in Jerusalem nor in this mountain. But God is looking for people that are, that are born again, that, are, that, that he works spiritually in them, and that are honest. They will worship him in spirit and in truth. He presses through the smokescreen. And listen, one of the things that I think is just so wonderful in this chapter is that he deals with her in a way that he's able to see, that she's able to see the problems. He draws out her being able to say, come out with her sin. It's hard to admit we're wrong, isn't it? It's hard to admit that we messed up. But really, Jesus does it in such a way that, that, uh, that he says, hey, go get your husband. I have no husband. And Jesus says, you have rightly said you have no husband. You had five husbands. And I wonder, I mean, of course, there's different ways of looking at this. I wonder if she chose the guys and the water, what she was longing for in her soul was love. Maybe meaningful relationship. She's seeking in her soul. She's someone that would protect her, someone that would care for her. And every time she was with somebody, she realized, this doesn't satisfy me. And she left them. Or, I wonder if she desired love and she desired grace and the same things. But whenever with, was, she was with somebody, they despised her. The Bible says that there's a few things that are very ugly in the, on the earth and one of them is an unloved woman. Someone who is married and the husband just doesn't love her 
or vice versa. But I mean, the verse talks about an unloved woman. And if she was longing to be loved, but she found no one that would love her. And either way, those longings we have will never be satisfied by a human being. They will be satisfied by Jesus. In, 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 um, in Jeremiah chapter 1, it says, My people have committed two evils. They have, they have um, dug ditches that hold no water or, or pots that are, that are broken that hold no water. And they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. There is a worship leader whose mom said to him, it, it's, a, it's a Hispanic worship group called Salvador. Amazing, amazing Christian music. And, uh, and the mother of the singer said, when you go out there today, don't worship Jesus first. The guy's just like, what do you mean? Don't worship Jesus first. And the mom says, worship Jesus only. Come on. I love Loretta. I'm so glad too. I love Loretta. But ultimately, I cannot look for her, to her for all my needs, emotional, spiritual. It's just not possible. She cannot look to me. I love my kids. Loretta says, I, when, we, when we wrestle with infertility, Loretta, I said to Loretta, maybe God's protecting us from having kids because, you know, I knew. My brother was 13 years younger than me. I knew what it was like to have a, a, a little rascal. And... Uh, and maybe the Lord's protecting us. And, and Loretta says, I'd rather have loved and lost than not loved at all. She desired children so badly, which is perfectly normal, which is perfectly healthy. But the other day she looked at me and she goes, why did we want kids again? <laughs> Whose idea was this to have kids? Because it really is, whatever we set our goal to achieve, whether it's a career, whether it's a, a relationship, whether it's a, whether, whether it's a, a, a traveling, whether it's food, what, whatever it is, whether it's drink, it leaves us empty. It's a laborious thing to keep going there. They asked Rockefeller, how much money does a man need to be content? And Rockefeller said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And it's a wonderful thing when we realize what happens here, that Jesus wisely deals with her, with her shortcomings, with her sin, with maybe with the sins that she suffered from others, and he draws out. He, remember, he's, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. He or she, he is the salt in her life. He's making her, he's making her thirsty. She, she's getting that water there, but all of a sudden she realizes there's a, there's a bigger thing going on that God provides. And you know what? Jesus has the intention of, of reaching a whole area, the whole area of Samaria. And he goes first to this woman, and he's going to transform the whole area of Samaria through this woman. She goes back to the town, and she goes, hey, listen, here's a guy who told me everything about me. And then they said, they came back and says, no longer do we believe because of what you said. We believe that this is the savior of the whole world. God reached this area through this woman, through this outcast woman.
worship. You know, it's interesting that when in 2 Kings 17, where it says that um, they didn't know the God of the land, it, the word worship is used 10 times. And here in, in John 4, the, the, the word worship is used 10 times. It's just amazing, the parallel. But Jesus is coming to, he, Jesus also manifests himself as the priest that brings the knowledge of God. And worship is not just singing songs. And I'm closing with this. And Chris is going to come up and he's going to lead us in communion this morning. But, it, but it's really interesting. Worship is not singing songs. You can sing songs and not worship. We, remember, we had a couple of girls, Chinese girls here the other, uh, a few months ago, and uh, they had never stepped into a church in their life. And when the music turned on and everybody stood up to sing, they looked at each other and they said, karaoke! <laughs> so, you know, you, you can sing songs. Worship is a life walking in conscious honoring, gratitude, and devotion to the Lord. Realizing His greatness. And worship is not just the fruit of our lips. And I'm, gonna, I'm closing with this. Worship is our very lives. In Romans 12, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, see this? In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And it is a temptation in our lives. And we're going to continue with this story in the next few weeks. But it is a temptation in our life to make worship just about singing songs on a Sunday morning. Where worship, as you read, I, I love when you read First Peter and you read Ephesians 1, and, and even later in Ephesians, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus Peter says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has begotten us again to a living hope, incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away. These people are boiling. It's a fountain within. It's the Holy Spirit inside of them that, that, that reveals who God is. And that as, he, as, as they were discovering who God is, it's an outpour of gratitude, of honor, of, 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 of joy, of love. They're not pursuing, they're not pursuing happiness. They're not pursuing uh, this joy. They're seeing God, and in turn of seeing God, their hearts are being overwhelmed with joy unspeakable. And it is like that dog that I talked about last week where, or a couple weeks ago where I got this picture sent to me of a dog looking out from his window at New York City. And he's just sitting there looking at the great vast city outside. And he says, there must be more to life than just being a good boy. Sometimes we can reduce life to just sort of sitting and singing but there's much more than that and jesus says to him if you drink of this water you will be you will thirst again but if you drink of the water i give guys jesus wants to do abundantly above all you can think or ask He's going to deal with your prejudices. You have views about Christianity. You have views about God that are wrong. And he wants to bring you to a place where you see him clearly. And he's going to deal with you being able to come out with your sin. 
to be honest with him, to be honest with others. But it's in turn what he wants to do is fill you with fountain within, a fountain of praise, a fountain of worship. Do you have that experience of grace upon grace? Do you have that fountain? And if you don't, I would ask you to draw near. I mean, Zuli said it so well. He's given us certain tools. And one of the tools that he's given us to be able to call upon his name, to be able to say, Jesus, will you, will you help me? I don't want a religious life. I want a real life with you. Oh my goodness, I want, yeah, yeah. Let's pray. Father, when we look at this woman and realize that you love people, Lord. And, and, and you want to do so much in our life. And it is really an honor to know you. Really, sometimes we get obsessed with things, but nothing matches you. And I pray, Father, that anyone here that doesn't know you, anyone that thinks, you know, oh my goodness, church and religion and this is, Lord, that all these prejudices would just go out the window and that we would realize that we are just people designed by you, captives to sin, who you want to redeem and you want to bless. And I pray that anyone that doesn't know you here today, Lord, I just pray that you would give them that key, that switch, that surprise. And that they would realize that you are personal, you are intimate. And that they would take steps forward, Lord, to know you. And Father, for us, I just pray that we would not be guilty of forsaking this amazing fountain of living water for jars that can hold no water. Crackpots. And Lord, as Chris comes up and, and he leads us in, uh, in communion, I, I, just, I just pray that we would just do some really um, good, healthy, gracious business with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.